this is the education show unlocking opportunities in teaching and learning through collaboration proudly brought to you by zabuza.net but once again it is the education show special guest and somebody i've been looking forward to uh, having a chat to and uh, it's taken a bit of toing and froing because you're not even on the same continent as us amy ogin hello welcome thank you it's such a pleasure to be with you now, give me, give me an idea um, you, where you based and, and tell me a little bit about Amy before we get into the, the sort of meat and potatoes of what you do. Yes, yeah, so I'm at Carnegie Mellon University, uh, which is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the United States. And uh, I also have a lot of ties to Africa. Um, last semester, I was teaching at our campus, uh, Carnegie Mellon University, Africa, which is located in Kigali in Rwanda. And so um, I spend a good bit of time over there. And so I'm really pleased to, to join you today. Fantastic stuff. Now, now, Amy, you are in the educational field. I believe you're an educational technologist. Tell me a little bit about what led you to, to get to this point, uh, this point in your life. Yes, yeah, so um, I, that's a word I like to use because I think that um, it, for me, evokes the idea of uh, the building of educational technology, but also includes the development of the science around it. And so where I'm located at a university, uh, I'm within the Department of Human Computer Interaction, uh, which is an interesting place to be to develop educational technologies. But I think it really brings uh, the best of a number of worlds together in order to help us understand how we can make the most of our technologies to help people learn. So we bring together psychology, design, computer science, learning sciences. It's a very interdisciplinary place. And I think we really need all of that in order to best understand how to create these technologies that are going to change the world. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you're being very modest about things at the moment as well. I mean, um, you've got an undergraduate degree in computer science and Spanish, just, you know, because Spanish is such an easy language to learn. Uh, and you've got your PhD in the human computer interaction. Now, when you talk about how uh, uh, technology and, and education interact, can you give me some examples? Because, I mean, we all know that right now uh, the world is going through this, this COVID-19 and everything's been turned upside down. So, so how do you sort of see this fitting in, what you do? Yes, it's hard to, to have chosen a year in which this uh, idea of educational technology was more relevant. Um, today in the pandemic, I think everybody's recognizing the need for alternative approaches to be able to deliver a high quality educational experience to learners in every place around the world. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, I think what we're studying is really how we can develop technologies that use the latest in learning sciences. And so that's coming from the fields of education research, learning science research, um, psychology, 
and so on and so forth in order to um, make sure that the technologies we design are really working in the context in which we're deploying them. And so um, I'm sure all the parents out there have had a lot of opportunity to try to get some educational technologies to work over the last six months. And, and they're all aware of what are oftentimes the deficiencies in, in how we've been thinking about technology and education to date and where there's a lot of room for growth uh, in order to make sure that the experience is open and equitable to all learners while also ensuring that uh, we actually deliver on the promises of this high quality education. And, and to me, that's so important because, you know, in, in, in South Africa particularly, but Africa as a whole, we have such a large proportion of the community that, that don't have access to this high quality learning and, and, and to the latest technologies. You know, the, if, if we can figure out ways to make this more accessible, I know that uh, the, the, the uh, Zabuza.net people, along with uh, Malcolm Moy, they, they're working really, really hard on, on getting our data zero rated for people to have access to that. But even so, uh, it's a very big change uh, when you consider the, the and, and dare I say, old-fashioned uh, model of, of classroom learning to where we find ourselves today. Mm, absolutely. And of course, we know that learning can happen with no technology at all. So you are learning everything that your parents are teaching you every day at home without technology. Uh, teachers have gotten along for many millennia with no technology involved. But as we start to add technology, we start to see the ways in which teachers can take advantage of new approaches to learning that can help students um, acquire knowledge in, in new ways, uh, that can help the teachers deliver things more effectively or more efficiently. And this started, you know, even with the advent of the printing press and paper. So I don't want to say necessarily that technology is, you know, uh, some of the projects that, that I work on are have very advanced sensors and cameras and things in the classroom. And, uh, you know, we're looking sort of at the future of what things might look like in, in a very high tech classroom. But I think that we shouldn't forget uh, the other technologies that everyone has in their home now and, and that can also help make education more accessible. So as I mentioned, paper and, and pencil and writing are one of those, but we also do things like use feature phones or basic phones that families already have in their house to help facilitate learning opportunities for students who may not be able to attend school every day whether that's due to the pandemic or other issues like needing to help the family out at work. Which is something in Africa that is, that is very, very relevant because, you know, there, there are people that don't have access to that. The people that do, though, and, and I know um, in our house we have what, what we in, in, in South Africa, uh, she's in matric, so it's her final year of high school. And just watching how they've had to adapt and what they've had to do has been a challenge. And, and, and I think it's challenging not only for the students and the learners, but, but for the teachers as well. Yes. Well, I myself as a, I'm a teacher at the same time. So I'm actually teaching a university class right now. And 
half of my students are coming into the class in person and half of them are joining remotely. And I myself have to show up an hour early every day just to make sure all the technology is working and, and we're all connected and, and everything's set up the way I want mm, we, to we, be we, in we, order to make the students who are online feel like they're really in the classroom and, and that they're getting the same opportunity as the students who are coming in person. So uh, I know firsthand the struggles that, that exist with EdTech for parents and teachers and everyone involved. And so that's one of the reasons why we're, we're working so hard um, to make these things accessible and usable. Uh, and why I think one of the reasons why I love being in this department that I'm in of human computer interaction where, where everybody's thinking about accessibility and how to make things useful and, and usable. Yeah, well, I mean, a, a prime example, and, and when we talk about technology, when it works, it's wonderful. Um, but when it doesn't work, there's a problem. I mean, we can take into account our chat right now. Uh, we, were, we were supposed to be having a chat and, and it was going to be wonderfully sorted out and done from my, my home studio with uh, my internet connection that should work beautifully. Uh, and now it's not like that. So we've had to do a bit of a run around and I don't have my, my uh, professional microphone that I use. So I'm, I'm feeling just doing this, I'm feeling a kind of a little weird and under pressure. So I can't imagine what other people would be feeling. Yeah, so this is one of the reasons why uh, in my research lab, we do a lot of contextual work before we introduce a technology into a new community to try to understand what technologies are already present in the community, how we can take advantage of the ways that, that participants are already using this technology and maybe get them to stretch a little bit, but also give them something that they're familiar with and comfortable with. So for instance, we're working with a group of teachers in the Cote d'Ivoire right now, and they often struggle to get the type of professional development that they need on a regular basis. They're already using technology, so on their smartphones, they're already engaging with friends, family, and sometimes even professional groups of teachers. We're taking advantage of this and building our solution into Facebook Messenger, which they're already using. And now we can put the high tech on our side. So the artificial intelligence is happening on our end uh, behind the scenes so that the teachers don't even really need to deal with it. They just know they're getting these Facebook messenger messages, which is something that they've always done and they don't have to change their routine. That is, that is fantastic. I mean, yeah, we use messenger all the time. I just, I never thought about it in, in terms of a, of an education platform. So that is certainly some, some good news. Amy, if I can ask you, though, you, you've had experience in Africa, as you mentioned. How, how do we sort of stack up against somewhere like the, the, the USA in terms of our, our education and our ability to deliver that education? Well, you know, one thing I've been really excited about in my work in Africa is right now I'm working with the MasterCard Foundation with a set of EdTech entrepreneurs, and they are the most energetic, exciting, brilliant group of people that I have met and had the pleasure of working with. And really the innovations that they're looking at are in some, some cases 
you know, light years ahead and, and in other cases are, are really situated and contextualized in their own context in a way that, as I was saying, make, makes the technology very familiar and easy to use for their constituents. And so I have a lot of excitement around working with this group and, and think there's so much room for, for new solutions that are going to help all of Africa's children uh, be able to participate in this educational uh, environment where I think there, there's so much interest and energy from governments as well in terms of getting every child access to schooling that I think makes this really the place to be. It is, it is certainly exciting. And one of the things, and, and I, I can speak most familiarly with, with the South African context, is that South Africans in general, across the board, have this, this very much, this, this, you know, we will find a way to do it, uh, approach to things. And, <laughs> you know, with, with that, they're very open to technology. I've, I've seen cell phones and smartphones used in, in places that I would never in my life have imagined that they would have access to that technology. And yet they do. And one of the things, and that's why I love doing this show and, and working with the guys at zabuza.net, is I have an absolute passion because I believe the way forward for South Africa and, and indeed Africa is education and, and getting our young people the kind of education that they deserve. And it's, and it's a right for them as well. Uh, so just doing this, I mean, is, is, is absolutely fantastic. Amy, you did mention a little bit uh, earlier on about uh, psychology as well. Now, if we can touch on that in terms of, of this remote learning that we're doing now um, in light of the pandemic, have you noticed that there has been certain psychological implications? Yes. Yeah, so one of the core foundations of any learning environment, whether it's in person or on using technology, has to be motivation. So students need to have the right tools to learn something, but they also need to be motivated to do it. Uh, if they're not, the best teacher in the world on the content side isn't going to help them. And so um, while psychology touches on um, the impact of education in many ways, I think motivation is one of those that's become really critical for this pandemic era where students feel perhaps confused, disconnected, uh, things are not as easy as they were before. And so finding the ways to engage and motivate students becomes even more critical. And that's just one of those places where psychology can help us. They've been building models of motivation for decades. And so these, this is one of the things that I will be teaching in my class at university this week, actually, are models of motivation and how we can use them in our systems to help students uh, stay on, feel like they're getting value out of that education, and then be retained for longer so that they, they stay in school and continue participating even when perhaps uh, the, the conditions around them become difficult. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful stuff to, to hear what you're doing. Amy, in terms of our, our context here in South Africa, though, people that are listening now, let's, let's say that there are or is some teachers, a teacher that is listening. What advice do you give us? Because for the foreseeable future, um, although for us the lockdown is coming to an end, but I know a lot of parents are, are very, very fearful of sending their kids back to school, what sort of 
tips and, and suggestions do you have for teachers? For teachers? Um, well, so I think, of course, there is one of the most fundamental uh, needs that we all have as humans is this idea of um, psychological safety. And what that means is that basically that we feel safe in the environment that we're in. So it's not about the actual conditions, but our, our own ability to adjust to and uh, perform in an environment. And so uh, this is definitely a tumultuous time. Parents may be scared about sending their children back to school. Children themselves might be scared or, or nervous about having a large group in the classroom when they know that this disease is deadly and has perhaps taken some of their family members. And so uh, tip number one for teachers is to help students feel comfortable in the environment when they're coming back in. And this is particularly true for younger students who need that reassurance that everything is going to be okay. So creating that atmosphere, that positive atmosphere in the classroom, even when you as a teacher might be terrified, is step number one to sort of getting children's lives back to normal. That's one main feature. And then the other thing that teachers may need to think about is how this extended uh, period out of school has impacted students' learning. And so one thing that teachers need to do in any case is to understand where their students are at, what they know and what they don't know, what they can do and can't do. Uh, this is a particular period in which that assessment of children's skills is really going to be very important in order to find the students who have not been able to keep up with their schooling while they've been uh, out of the classroom and make sure that they are able to be integrated back in, in, into the content that the, the teachers need to work with at this point in the school year. Yeah, because obviously that's, that's another big thing is that, the, the, that schooling has been interrupted for such a, a long period of time that, that you know, we're now approaching uh, our year-end exams, et cetera, et cetera. So again, a very, very challenging time there. But uh, I like what you say about, about the teachers. But if there's a parent or a student uh, that's also listening to this, this particular podcast, how would you suggest or what would you suggest they could do to, to sort of maximize the benefit from what is currently available uh, here in South Africa and in Africa? Yes, great question. So there are a lot of tools that have been developed recently in Africa across a number of countries uh, that are helping students to review and revise material uh, that they may have missed over the past year. So Zabuza is one of those that, that provides access to additional materials and to teachers who can help uh, act as tutors in the evening to help students catch up. Uh, Siavula is another in South Africa uh, that really provides an online opportunity to do this revision. And this is really crucial for students who have not had that access to the classroom over the last uh, few months and who feel like they are perhaps behind where some of their other classmates might be. So there are these online tools that are available. And one of the things that they can do while, all, while helping students revise 
is they can also help students understand where they are, where they're um, maybe have been missing something over the, the last few months, and then go talk to their teacher about this when they get back into the classroom. So, you know, here's where I've been uh, excelling. Here's where I've been struggling. I'm hoping that you can help me with that. Parents as well may want to look at the outcome of what students are doing on these technology-based revision tools, and they can then better help manage their students' progress this year in their educational journey, whether it's by giving them uh, more access to these online tools or speaking to a teacher or finding other ways for students to get uh, study groups that will help them catch up. Some very, very sound advice there. An interesting thing, and, and maybe just if I could get your, your viewpoint on this, I was chatting to somebody at the weekend who is a, a teacher uh, at one of our schools here, and she was saying that particularly with the youngsters that they've now started to, to let back into the classroom, with this mask wearing, she says it is very, very difficult for them to then be able to, as teachers, read the children, read their expressions, because with their masks on, you, you can't really see their faces. And her feeling was that uh, it was a lot easier whilst we were online, so the children were at home not having to wear masks to deal with children understanding or not understanding than it is now. They, they're finding that the mask wearing is, is, is a huge challenge. Oh, yes. I find that in my class as well. Sometimes I'm wondering whether we should all just be online. But I know there are certain students for whom that's more difficult than others. So one thing that teachers can do in order to get around this serious problem is start integrating more checks for knowledge in the middle of their lesson. So that could involve even quick questions, taking a poll, how many students can uh, answer this question right, or, or pausing more frequently to ask students uh, to voice their perspective, uh, explain themselves in the classroom. And that's really a great way to get a better view of what students know and don't know, who has misconceptions, where the teacher might need to slow down or, or provide some extra material, particularly because students have been missing so much school. There are these gaps in knowledge that might be occurring. But the great thing is, this is actually really good practice in general. Uh, we, we, as teachers, want to be doing this and checking on students' knowledge regularly anyway. So it's a really good impetus for us to get more of those great techniques into the classroom now that it's really needed and where we can't just rely on, on looking at students' expressions in order to, to see where to go next. One of the things that has come up for me as well, though, is how willing the majority of teachers are to, to, to put in the, the, the long yards, the, go the extra mile uh, in terms of, of helping their students. And it's one of the things I, I take my hat off to anybody that's involved in the education uh, industry is how, you know, how much dedication and passion there is. And I think that, whether it be in person or online, that definitely does shine through. We've been talking a lot in, in some prior episodes about emotional well-being, both from a teacher perspective and a student perspective. Uh, your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. So um, I think we've been having some news stories out here in the United States about uh, teachers being the next frontline workers. 
So, you know, our doctors and nurses and staff in the hospitals are, are critical in this period of time. But now we're getting back to the point where we see, uh, we recognize finally how critical teachers are to the well-being of students, uh, to the well-being of parents who are able to feel comfortable that their children are in good hands and are, are making progress in school. And so uh, as with doctors and nurses and hospital staff, this can really take a toll on, on teachers as well. And I, I agree with you. I've been incredibly impressed by the lengths that teachers will go to to ensure that all of their students are well and happy and learning. And so this really speaks again to that issue of uh, psychological safety, but not just for the students, but also making sure that the teachers feel that way too. So one thing I hope is that administration uh, are taking note of these issues, making sure to check in on their teachers, um, because this is a, a time where a lot of burnout is possible. You pour your heart into something, and then, of course, it, you know, as it goes on and on over the months, it becomes harder and harder. So we need to make sure that our, our teachers are well, just as much as our students and our parents. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you 100%. Amy, as always, when I do these things, we, we tend to sort of run out of time, and it looks like uh, we are doing that uh, right now again. But before I let you go, you are so involved, you sort of involved with the technology. What is next for Amy? That's part one of the question. And part two, where do you see us going with education? Is it going to be more technology, more online? So those two questions are really um, intermingled in, in my life. So asking what's next for EdTech is really um, also asking what's next in, in my career. So I am uh, very excited about working to explore the boundaries of EdTech uh, across Africa. And what that means is thinking both about this very accessible, very familiar low-level technologies and what we can do with them uh, that brings the advanced sciences and, and um, advanced knowledge of learning uh, to a broader population that makes this accessible to all students. But also, where do we go that's, that's the, the next stage of the most exciting technologies? So there's been a lot of interest in uh, virtual reality. I, I would not have said that that was the next uh, advent for, for technology in the classrooms, but it's actually something that I'm using right now to explore whether the students who are home remotely can feel more like they're in my classroom. So VR is not necessarily the, the next space, but there, but there are lots of new developments coming out both with hardware as I was mentioning, we are looking at cameras, microphones, all kinds of sensors that can tell us exactly what's happening in the classroom at every moment and help us in this mission of teacher professional development so that they can learn more about their own classroom to software, artificial intelligence, and other approaches that we can use to get a better understanding of, of where students are at. Again, this idea of misconceptions, uh, of, of student strengths and how we can take advantage of those and uh, support our teachers in delivering this best quality education. 
Wonderful stuff. I am, I am so excited uh, about the future and about what's going to be happening and being able to bring that technology to Africa, to South Africa. I think it's, it's fantastic. You touched on uh, virtual reality and I'm fortunate enough, uh, I was uh, invited to attend. They, they just recently had the launch uh, for the Singularity U conference, which uh, is, is all about the, 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 the artificial intelligence, fourth industrial revolution. And they actually did a virtual launch um, and you could actually walk in and you could walk around and it was uh, very much space themed. But where it's come to and, and, and what we've managed to achieve from when it was launched, because, you know, VR was, was, was launched and everyone was, this is going to be it. And the crowd <laughs> basically went home and said, no. But I think now we're getting into that kind of space where we've got the technology and we've got the will to, to make better use of uh, virtual reality situations and scenarios. Yeah, so if you have seen um, this uh, graph called Gartner's Hype Cycle, it, it talks about the explosion in popularity of any new technology where everyone thinks it's going to be, you know, the next biggest thing. And then we sort of see where it fails. I think we're now in this section of his chart called the plateau of productivity, where we recognize what VR might be useful for uh, and what it's not going to be good for. And we can actually start taking advantage of it so we can do some cool things uh, without thinking that it's the, the next and only direction to go for technology. Wonderful stuff. Amy, we are out of time, but thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, I know we've had to reschedule this and run around like crazy. So thank you for your, your patience. Thank you for your time. And uh, I do look forward to us being able to chat to you again. Oh, it's been an honor to be on your show. I really appreciate the invitation. Thank you so much. There we go. That was my special guest all the way from the USA, Amy Ogden and uh, some valuable insights there. Until next time, take care of yourselves. That was The Education Show. Simply learn. Join the conversation on zibuza.net. That's Z-I-B-U-Z-A dot net.